Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. All right, once this is, yeah, yeah. You know, if you have something to do over again, here's how I would have played that differently. Silence to follow something as gorgeous as that. You know, the, Terry, you and Glenn, I'm, I'm fumbling over my words. Which is what worship ought to do, right? I mean, there's a sense in which I'm listening to the the percussive sounds of the piano and the controlled vibrations of the violin, and I'm I'm left breathless. Were you left breathless at some point? Breathless, literally leaning forward as if, is that it? Oh, nope, not yet. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, And it's metaphor, it's parable. This is what the Spirit does in us. This is what worship is, is that the Spirit, through the percussive sounds of the piano and the controlled vibrations of violin, they call us up to an attentiveness that leaves us breathless and attentive to something that can happen because we're that focused. So, it's into that kind of moment that I welcome you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 22. And as you find your way to Matthew 22, may we allow the spirit that teaches us, that calls us Godward to do something in us today that changes everything. Listen to these words as they come from Matthew 22, verse 1. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying... The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent another or other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, look, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and they went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves... The wedding is ready. But those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. He said to him, friend, 
how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him out into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the reading of the sacred word. (laughs) May God now add a blessing to the hearing and the doing of it. Will you pray with me? God, in this moment of worship, in this moment in which we are attentive to your spirit among us, our prayer is that you would do something that opens our minds and hearts vulnerable enough and transparent enough that you may actually speak to us and we actually hear it. We pray that you would relieve from the the shoulders of your worshipers any burdens that prevent us from truly encountering you right now. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Tom Long at Candler School of Theology here in Atlanta, tells about a trip he took to another city, and he went to this motel. And at the motel where he was, he went to the elevator to go up to his room, and he noticed on the gate beside the elevator a handwritten notice. It it, it read this, Party tonight, 8 o'clock p.m., room 210. Everyone invited. Party tonight, 8 o'clock p.m., room 210, everyone invited. We thought to himself, who in the world would throw such a party and why would they invite just everybody to come? And he couldn't figure it out, but all afternoon he was intrigued by this idea that regardless, at 8 o'clock tonight, room 210 would be filled with an assortment of human beings. What kind of human beings would show up at a party like that? He said, maybe, maybe there would be a, a salesman who's weary from the tedium of travel and needed a little break. Maybe it's a, a, a vacationing couple, a couple on vacation sightseeing, but they're tired of sightseeing and needed to do something a little different. Maybe there's a man on a long journey who shows up uh, looking for a little excitement, a little festivity. Or maybe there are some curious and somewhat bored hotel employees who show up in room 210. And you know who else will be there. Uh, Some kids who somehow snuck out of their parents' room to find out what's going on at 8 o'clock in room 210. Well, sooner or later, through the afternoon, he went back down, passed by the elevator, and noticed that the notice had been taken down. It turns out it it was a fake. Big surprise there. But he wrote about it, and this is what he said when he noticed the sign had been replaced. Alas, the sign soon came down, replaced by a hand, by a typewritten statement from the motel staff explaining that the original notice was a hoax. That made sense, of course, but in a way, it was too bad. 
For a brief moment, I was tantalized by the possibility that there just might be a party going on somewhere to which we were all invited. A party where it didn't make much difference who you were when you, we walked in the door or, or what motivated us to come. A party we could come to out of boredom, loneliness, responsibility, eagerness to be in fellowship, or simply to see what was happening. A party where it didn't matter nearly as much what got us in the door as what would happen to us after we arrived. Hmm. The kingdom of God is a party like that. The kingdom of God is like a party. This kingdom that we've been talking about in this parable series where Jesus says the kingdom of God is this, is not this city that takes place, the party that takes place some other time in the distant future. It's this reality that's breaking into this reality. It's this realm of God's love, this domain of God's grace that is breaking into our lives right now. And the best way you can think of it today is to think of it as a party like that. <laughs> where it doesn't matter nearly as much why you came through the door or where you came from as much as what happens to you after you arrive. In the Bible, there is repeatedly one reference after the next to this great kingdom party. We refer to it as the Messianic Banquet. That there is coming a day at the end of the ages when there will be a spread like you've never seen. A party in which God as the host welcomes everyone and anyone to eat and to drink deeply of that beautiful feast. This is the way Isaiah gave a little prelude to it. Isaiah says it this way, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines, strained clear. Jesus says it in Matthew's gospel. Matthew says, I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Isaiah says it once again, listen, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come. Buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Scripture echoes again and again that this is where this whole thing is going that we're moving toward this extraordinary banqueting feast with the Lord Jesus Christ at the head of the table, <laughs> welcoming those from all nations. Every knee should bend, every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that he is Lord and there is coming this extraordinary party of grace and mercy and beauty and sharing. And that's what this table is all about. That's what this table is all about. You know, most of the time we think of the Lord's Supper as a memorial meal, right? Because even on the front of the table, if we were to remove this beautiful cloth, you see on the front of the table it says, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, remember me. 
But if we're not careful, we can think of this meal as, as some kind of a memorial meal where we just sit around and kind of reminisce about the things Jesus said a long time ago to a bunch of people somewhere else. But the truth is, when he says, remember me, I hear that in the most physical, tangible, literal terms because Jesus knew that we live in a dismembering world. We live in a world that will dismember us. And when we gather around this table and eat this bread and drink this cup, it's as if by the power of the risen Christ living in us and among us, there is a remembering of the body of Christ. And I don't know what it is that has dismembered you today. And I don't know where you have come from to get to this table. And I don't know what occasion or experience may have injured you, harmed you, threatened your well-being, dismembered you from within. But you need to know this table is for you because this is where we get remembered as the body of Christ. So this table is not, it's not just a memorial table. This table in every powerful way, is an invitation to anticipate and participate in something extraordinary. This table is about anticipating that great messianic banquet that's coming. It, 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 is, it is coming. And we have the opportunity to be seated at that table. We anticipate when we eat the bread and drink the cup. But it's more than that. We participate we participate by eating this bread and drinking this cup. We participate in the kingdom that is not just coming later, but is breaking in right now through every moment that we choose to let Christ live out of us rather than ego, selfishness, pride. At this table, we anticipate and we participate. And you are invited. This is what's extraordinary about this parable that Jesus taught. Because everybody is invited to the table. There are no exceptions. But if you come, there is something that's expected of you. Turns out there's a king, and he throws a big party for his son. His son's getting married, and he throws a party with extreme lavishness and extraordinary extravagance, right? So the images that we hear about in this parable are, hey, we've killed the fatted calf. Hey, we've, we've killed the oxen. Those are symbols of extraordinary um, plenty, right? And he sends out this wave of invitations, which is really quite fascinating in the scripture. Three waves of invitation. A trinity of invitation. First, he sends the save the date, right? Save the date, come, there's going to be a wedding, it's going to be great. But nobody comes. The wedding comes and nobody shows up. So he sends out his servants a second wave of invitation. Hey, did you get the invitation? Did you get the, because you're not there. And, 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 and he sent me to remind you that this thing is available for you to participate in. And still they did not come. So the parable says that the king sent a third wave this time with details this time the slaves showed up and said you do know that we've got really good food there you do know that this is the fatted calf kind of party this is not the hors d'oeuvre this is a big deal and the text says that some ignored them and some mistreated and even killed the messengers 
which raises a question in my own heart today. How many times and in how many ways must God invite you to the table before you come? Because this threefold invitation of God, wave after wave after wave, patiently inviting, is a demonstration of God's relentless love for you. And how many times and in how many ways must God invite you to a, to a life of grace, and forgiveness and reconciliation and peace? How many times must the invitation comes. I'm intrigued by this because it raises a serious truth. This parable teaches us you can reject the invitation. You can decline the invitation of God. You really can. You can get the invitation when it comes in the mail to this life of grace and beauty and extraordinary peace, and you can stick it under the refrigerator magnet on your fridge you, where some of the invitations we get goes, right? You stick it there and you see it every day, but because you see it every day, it's kind of, well, it's just there. And so you go to the fridge and you pull open the door because in the fridge, well, there's nourishment, right? And you open it up because I'm hungry for something. I better grab something to eat out of this fridge. And, and, and I eat it and it's filled with <laughs> preservatives, nitrates. It's bad stuff, right? And yet I eat it because, oh, that feels better for a while. Then I shut the door, and as I shut the door, waving past my face is the invitation to a true meal. But I leave it there, and I open the door again when I get hungry because you do get hungry again when you carbo-load, right? <laughs> and you take, and it's intriguing to me, the, the fridge of this world is filled with meals that we can eat, and we do. We eat them regularly, but in so declining the invitation of God's great banquet, we fill our lives with what we think will satisfy. And every time we open and shut the door, waving in front of us is this invitation that there is a better meal, and it's free. How many times and in how many ways must God send you a signal send you a person, make for you a sign that this table is waiting on you. The truth is you can turn down the food. The, the, the bread of life, God will not cram down your throat. The cup of grace, God will not pour down your throat. You must choose freely, which really raises an interesting truth about the character of the nature of God's love. This kind of love is a different kind of love. You know why? Because this kind of love has freedom in it. Love includes freedom. Freedom to reject. Love includes freedom to reject. Otherwise, it's not love. It's coercion. God wants to pour God's love over you, but you must choose to receive it. You can reject it. And the love of God includes the freedom to reject it. But here's the truth. Whether you say yes to the invitation or not, the party's still going to happen. The table is still spread. And God will invite others to come and sit in the seat. So the, the text continues in Matthew 22. The king says, go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you can find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. I love that phrase tucked into that 
passage, they gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. Can I get us to think for just a moment about a table that's surrounded by good and bad? Sometimes when I meet a friend or a colleague in ministry and they know where I serve and what church it is that I lead, they say, well, tell me about your church. What kind of, what kind of folks do you have in your church? And I, and I say, same kind of folks you have in your church. And they, and they say, well, what kind is that? And I say, sinners, <laughs> just like their leader, uh, filled with both good and bad at all times. The fact is, when you, when you fish with a net, You draw in all kinds of fish, good and bad. But the beauty of this phrase in this passage for me is this. It's not that the churches of the world are filled with some good and some bad. It's that we're filled with all kinds of fish, and in every fish there is good and bad. There are not good fish and bad fish, but there are fish with whom we have good and bad at the same time. There is always in us the redemptive work of God taking place, and we're not completely finished with that. And when you're invited to this table, when you're invited to come by the one who is the host of the table, the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ knows that you're not finished. Christ knows where it is that there is still this unresolved thing going on and where your struggles are, where your hidden secrets are, where your addictions are, where your traps seem to be. He knows and still sets a place for you at that table. This table is for those who are good and bad at the same time. But there was one at that wedding feast who stood out like a sore thumb. He showed up and he's not wearing this wedding robe, right, that he's supposed to be wearing. And the king identifies him very quickly and, and, and at gently at first tries to raise the issue. He comes to him very gently, politely, and says to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And the man stood there looking at him and said nothing. And then the parable does something that really disturbs me. The king then says, bind him up and send him out into the outer darkness, which on the one hand reveals something interesting. This party, the kingdom of God party, is the one in which God is both host and bouncer. And churches and pastors all over the planet sometimes assume that we live those roles, but we are not host and bouncer. There is one. In fact, that's why we call this the Lord's Supper and not our supper. That's why this is called the Lord's table and not our table, because we are common guests with each other. And so he sends them into the outer darkness. And I'm struggling with that part of the parable because on the one hand, you want to say, well, gosh, you're the king, and the king invited folks to come in off the streets. Come as you are, just like you are. Come on in. And then he punishes them for not wearing the right clothes. How's that going to happen? And I think to myself, well, that's what's wrong with so many churches in America today. And that is that we, we say, hey, come in as you are. But then we expect you to be different as soon as you get in. And so we, we say we want to reach out to the unbelieving world, to the non-believers. But then when they come, we expect them to somehow behave like they've been walking with Jesus for 60, 70 years when they've not. Unbelievers can't live like believers. They have to become believers first. And that requires a patience among the church to allow those who are walking with Christ to be transformed by Christ. There is one bouncer here, and his name is the Lord, right? 
who is radically more generous and patient than any of us are, is. There is a sense in which this parable disturbs me because the king invites them in just as they are and says, ah, but you're not dressed right. However, on the other hand, there's something about first century weddings that reveals the truth, and that is at a first century wedding, this happened for many days. It took place over the course of many days. And on the way into the wedding, you got the wedding robe. In fact, you came in from the streets, and there's a check-your-coat station. And you check your coat, and you're given a, a wedding robe so that you're dressed alike. It reminds me a little bit like the, the, the birthday parties that we would have with children in which we give the children hats to wear and they look alike. They, they blow the same horns, you know, the little whistles and they, they gather around the cape because why are we here? We're here for one common purpose, birthday. And there's a common look and dress about them. On the way into the party, the man would have received a wedding robe, but he chose not to wear it. The Bible doesn't tell us why he chose not to wear it and maybe that's good. Because the fact is, you and I choose for a dozen different reasons not to conform to the party that Jesus has called. And we're left to struggle with why is it and where is it that we struggle with stripping off what we need to strip off and putting on what we need to put on. But the fact is, this party, although everyone is invited, requires a change of garments, a change of clothing on the inner being. So I had an interesting morning this morning. Yeah. Some of you know we got a new pet. Here's a picture of Otis, right? <laughs> he's an English bulldog. Yeah, he's cute now. <laughs> English bulldog. Otis is his name. We're trying to housebreak him. Yeah. And he's doing great. He's doing great. So this morning I got up early and I got dressed and I, I, I had on another suit. Mm-hmm. And I was going to wear my gray pinstripe. Let's step it up a little bit for communion. It's a big day, right? Yeah, got finished getting ready. And I thought, well, on the way out, I'll take Otis and let him go outside to do what you do when your house is breaking. So I pick him up. I take him outside, and he does what he does, right? And I said, good boy, gave him a treat. Good boy, outside. You're doing great. You're the man. Good job, Otis. Well done. We're celebrating. He produced, you know. So I pick him up to go inside. You're such a good, you're so good, you wrinkled face. You're doing so great. As I get inside, I realize he wasn't finished. (laughs) And I am not kidding you. I mean, to the bone, (laughs) to the bone, soaked. I turned him around. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And then patiently took him back outside. I said, good boy. I said, good boy. Yeah, yeah. But I had to change because you can't come to this table like that. (laughs) Yeah? The fact of the matter is this. Everybody's welcome here. Everybody. But there comes a moment when you come to the free table of grace and mercy and compassion and beauty that you realize in order to truly be present here, there are some things that must come off first. There, there is a kind of stripping away that must first happen. I have to take off part of my old self. And we have to strip away the garments of pride and ego and hatred and unforgiveness. We strip off 
racism and sexism. We strip off all those vestiges of our old self. You know what's interesting to me? The root word for wedding garment in the New Testament shares the same Greek word as the phrase put on clothes. And in the New Testament, Paul again and again and again and again uses this phrase put on clothes to describe as a metaphor adopting a new way of life. That there's a stripping away of one old life and a putting on of a new one. This is how he said it in Romans, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In Galatians, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. In Colossians, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, and patience. And in Ephesians, clothe yourself with the new self, created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And as we come to the table today, I I, I simply want to raise the question that I'm asking of myself, what must first be stripped away in order to first put on Jesus Christ, to be clothed in his compassion and dignity and character? Can I ask you to consider what garment must you shed so that you can be clothed with Christ?